0: Thank you, Harv. All right, yes, I'm going to know Mike. Is that cool? Man, that sounded weird. I haven't done that before. Yeah, Harv said it in the prayer, but we're talking about fellowship. That's a word we throw around in church a lot that we may not even know what it means. It may not make sense. But if you really think about it, fellowship sounds like friendship. So that's a great way to look at it. Now, there's different ways of doing fellowship. There's friends with each other, which we're going to talk about later. But tonight, I want to talk about a word that you've probably heard in church a lot I want to break it down for you a little bit, what it means for you. The word is discipleship. Have y'all heard that word? People throw it around all the time. The key word in there is disciple. But here's what I want to tell you about that word before we go into it. Um, How many of you have heard of Vince Lombardi? Some of you have heard that name. Vince Lombardi was the coach of the Green Bay Packers in the 60s. And the Lombardi trophy is named after him. So the Super Bowl trophy that they win... Is named after Vince Lombardi because he was such a great coach. They won, I think, the first Super Bowl. They were very successful, the Green Bay Packers. And one of the reasons that they were so successful is because they had a play that was called a power sweep. So some of you may run that on your teams or have run variations of it. But basically what it is is you pitch the ball to the running back, you run around, and then the the key is that the linemen kind of run out and block for you. So you have like a shield blocking for you. That's why it works. It's called the power sweep. And what Vince Lombardi would tell his players before games is the defense will take care of itself. Passing will take care of itself. Everything else will work out. If we run this one play, they cannot stop it, even if they know it's coming. They got so good at that one play, even if teams knew it was coming, they would not be able to stop it. It was the power sweep. They won championships because that was the one thing they knew they had to do well for everything else to work out. And I tell you that because discipleship is the power sweep of the Christian life. It's the power sweep of churches, and it's the power sweep of ministries. If churches have really fun Wednesday nights, if ministries have really fun Bible studies that tons of people go to and they take really cool trips, but they do not do discipleship well, they are failing. So they could do everything else great, but if they don't do that one thing well, they fail. Nothing else matters at all. That's a pretty huge thing. So what is discipleship? Well, the word in there is disciple. And what a disciple is, is by definition, a learner or a follower. The word in the New Testament that's used for disciple is called methetes. That's the word. Here's what's really cool about the word methetes. It's used 270 times about in the whole New Testament. About 270 times. The word Christian is used three times. It's pretty crazy. So the word Christians used three times. Disciples used 270 times. So that should tell you what the New Testament was after, what they were going for. So if you think about what a disciple is, it's a learner or a follower of something that's becoming more like the things that they're learning and following. So you guys learned this year, right? You went to school, you've gone to church, you may follow a sports center or something. You're learning all the time. So every one of us, this is what's really cool. Every one of us in this room is a disciple, whether we know it or not. Every one of us is a disciple. The question is, what are we a disciple of? And here's what I really want to try to get in our minds before we jump into the verse tonight is this, is you're either going to be primarily discipled by Christ or the culture, but you're not going to be discipled fully by both. There's going to be one of those that disciples you more, either Christ or the culture, And here's where that comes into play. This whole country is built on a very sophisticated thing called media and marketing. And what they're trying to do through media and marketing is sell us things and tell us if we don't have this, we're not going to be happy. And what it does is it makes us value things naturally without even knowing that we value it. So a lot of things we care about is we care about being popular, we care about having a lot of money. We care about winning, being better than other people. And that's because that's what our culture sells to us. That's why. And you can see it everywhere all the time. If you look at Christ, his value system's totally opposite. Christ says, no, 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 you actually win by losing, meaning giving your life for Jesus and others. And he says, no, 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 what's valuable is not necessarily being popular, but following me every day no matter what happens. What's valuable is not admitting that you're awesome and powerful and confident and all that, What's powerful is admitting that you're weak and need a savior. He flips the the value system totally upside down, totally upside down. But Christ and the culture go against each other. So I want you to think in your mind, in what ways are you discipled by the culture? I really want you to think in your mind that right now. What ways does the culture show you what's important? Are you beginning to look more like the culture? Maybe it's people at your school and what they value. Maybe it's not. You can think in your head. And this is the question I want to talk about tonight is this. How can we get discipled when Jesus isn't even here? I mean, think about that. Jesus is not with us anymore. We know the Holy Spirit's with us, but Jesus as a person is not with us. So we can't be one of the 12 disciples that's hanging out with Jesus all the time. We don't get to do that because he's not here. Again, the Holy Spirit's with us, but he's not. He's in heaven next to the Father right now, praying for us, speaking well of us to the Father. Those are some things that he's doing, but he's not with us. So how can we get discipled when Jesus isn't here. How can we get discipled by Jesus? So I just want to give you two quick ways. Who remembered the memory verse? Some of you guys said it. Some of you got it? Yeah? Can someone say it out loud that feels good about it real quick? No, you want to go for it, Max? Go for it. Uh, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Exactly. So that was the verse. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That was written by a guy named Paul, and he was writing to a church called the Corinthian church, and they were extremely messed up. Extremely messed up. Like they would get drunk on the communion stuff, like that kind of thing. Like it was extremely messed up. All sorts of inappropriate relationships in the church is a very, very messed up situation. So he's writing them, trying to encourage them, challenge them, get them back on track. Get them where they're supposed to be. People that call themselves Christians, but really weren't living it out at all. So he writes this and what he says is, Hey, follow my example, because I'm following Christ's example. He's not here anymore. He died and rose and went to heaven. And I'm not perfect. I mess up all the time, but when I mess up, I admit my weaknesses and run to his grace, but follow me every day as I follow him. Follow my example. Learn from my example as I follow Jesus, and here's what's cool about that. What we learn about the Christian life is this, is God designed it in such a way that the way that we grow in our faith is by imitating other people that are a little farther along than us. I've used this example every time, But I was at the gym a few weeks ago, and there was a guy standing like right here, just shooting these shots the whole time. And obviously, who is he imitating? Steph Curry, Steph Curry. If he were Kyrie, he would make them, I'm just kidding. But he was standing out here and just chunking these shots like from way deep. And that's all he was doing the whole time. Because what he was trying to do was model his game after Steph Curry's. And that's what you see all the time if you go to a gym. People try to take the really deep shots now, it's hilarious, but it's because they look up to Steph Curry. They want to be like him. So people are changing their game in order to do that. So what I want you to think in your head right now is who in your life do you look up to that you're following their example? And again, not the church answer like it's the Apostle Paul or Jesus, but really think in your mind who at your school or who in the culture, if you're being really honest, are you going, yeah, I look up to that guy and I think I'm kind of looking more like him. And it might not be a Particular person, it might be a group of people, but who do you look up to that you're letting influence you a certain way? What Paul is saying there is this if you surround yourself with people who love the Lord, that's what's going to start to influence you. So here's your challenge tonight. It's extremely simple, and I've accepted every hour that the vast majority of people will not do this. But if one person does this, then that could change the eternity of like thousands of people down the road if only one person really takes it seriously. And some of you may already be doing it, but I really want to throw this out there and throw this out there tonight for those people that will hear. So here's the challenge tonight. Once you think in your mind right now of someone that you look up to in their faith, so not necessarily because they're a great athlete or they're really funny or really cool or really popular, but someone that may be a little older than you that you look up to in their faith. It could be anybody. It could be a parent, Bible study person, church person, a coach. It could be anyone. It really good. So think of that person that you really look up to. And then here's what I want to challenge you to do. It's extremely simple tonight. It's really not. It's just incredibly obvious. What I want you to do is this. I want you to go to that person and reach out to them, as crazy as that sounds. And I want you to tell them, hey, I want to spend time with you. I want you to disciple me. I want you to set an example for me. And here's what you're looking for. You're looking for two things. This is from 1 Thessalonians 2.8. It's a verse that I use in my ministry. I look at it every week. To remind me of this he says we love you so much that we delighted to share with you not only the gospel but our lives as well. So what he's saying there is my ministry is sharing my life with you and the Word of God. So what you want to do is this you want to look for someone that will share with you the word. So when you're having a hard day, they're going to encourage you with it. when you need to be challenged in your faith, they're going to challenge you with the word but they know it, they love it, they're not just giving you their own opinions. But they love the Word of God. They know it well, and they will pass it on to you as you have questions. The second thing you want to look for is someone that will share their life with you. So this right here is kind of discipleship, but it's not the full thing. What full discipleship would be is not just me like talking to you, but it would be us living life together. And that person is getting to know you. They know what's going on in your life, the good stuff, the hard stuff. They're well aware of what's going on, and then you get to watch them. So you get to not just see them on a stage, but you get to see how they live their life, how they treat people, when they mess up, how do they handle it when they mess up. I've talked to some of you about this, but I was with a group of guys in one of my Bible studies, and I just I got really mad and messed up, and I had to accept uh, forgiveness from all of them. And I think it's not a bad thing to see your people that you look at on a stage not be perfect at times, and you have to see how they handle that a little bit. How do they accept grace? They make excuses, or do they accept forgiveness for that? Those types of things are critical. So what I'd encourage you is to think of that person and then to go after reach out, take the initiative. Most people don't do that. But to take the initiative and spend as much time with them as you possibly can. There were a few guys in my life that did this. And typically, I was the one that had to go get it. Sometimes someone will make it happen with you, but usually, just so y'all are kind of aware of my position and guys like me and Cameron that do this, is sometimes we don't know who wants it and who doesn't? So you, your part is you've got to make it clear to your leaders, whoever they are, that you're one of the ones that really does. That's what I would challenge you to do. And I know that's hard. That's out of your comfort zone a little bit. But I would really challenge you to communicate to them that and have that conversation and see what happens from there. But I had a few guys in my life that did that. One of them I had lunch with today, and he was my small group leader from the time I was in sixth grade all the way to graduating high school. And today, to this day, he gives me advice on ministry stuff, which is really cool. And he gives me advice on um, just all sorts of stuff now that I'm in the work world and all of that. So big one. Another one for me was a guy at camp named Cole who reached out to me. I quote him all the time. He uh, influenced me a ton. And I want you to think about those people. A guy that can really do life with you because that is the key to a great life, that's a key to a great faith. That's a key to a great ministry in a church. That's what we want to be all about here is that kind of a ministry. So here's the second thing I want to challenge you on is this. There's a guy named St. John of the Cross. And in the 1500s, he was in jail in a jail cell. I think it was 10 feet by 6 feet. So it barely held him. And he was there because he was a Christian. And while he was there, he wrote a bunch of stuff down that we now have. And it's pretty cool. And one of the things he talks about while he's in jail is he found that Jesus was like a treasure chest that never ended. And what he would say is that even when he was in jail and everything was hard, Jesus for him was like a treasure chest that he could never get to the bottom of. So he would read the gospels, he'd think about Jesus, he'd be all in his life. Because if we wanna be a disciple of Jesus, we've gotta be all in his life. We gotta be masters of what he was like. So here's what I wanna challenge you to do this week to get you started. We put in the newsletter right here, This is actually based on a thing I wrote for a seminary class. These are seven days for the next week, things that Jesus says about being his disciple. So you yourself can dig deeply into the riches of Christ this week right here. And then if you want more, you can let me know when we get you started. But I think after that first day, that's just kind of a starter. The next six are the six things I think that he wants in a disciple. And you can look at it yourself and figure out what they are. It's pretty cool. So that's how you dig deeply into Christ. So you want to be surrounding ourselves with people especially one person that will minister to you, that will encourage you, that will disciple you and dig deeply into the life of Christ. That's the missing ingredient in many churches today, to be honest with you. it's the missing ingredient in many ministries today. We love big numbers. We love having a lot of fun, but the life on life is where it's going to happen. That is the power sweep of the Christian life. So I want to end with this. I've told this story every time. The crew's like, oh, here we go. It's the thread thing again. But this is what I'll end with, is when you think about when Jesus called his first disciples, he called them to leave everything and follow him. And in the same way, if you're really going to follow him and be one of his learners every day, especially where you're at in your age, is that's going to cost you something, especially as you get into these years. It might cost you some popularity. You might not be as cool. It, it might not be, um, you might be looked at as weird a little bit like that, all right? When I go to school lunches, I have to give that up. I have to realize it doesn't matter. People may think that, they may not, but I've got to keep my eyes on the Lord. That's going to start happening to you guys in the next few years is it's going to cost you some stuff. It very well could. And different people might go a different way. and It could be a little bit confusing. In the same way that the disciples had to give up everything, we're going to be called to do that a little bit as we follow Jesus. And that can be a little scary at times, one day at a time. How do we do that? How can we possibly do that when it gets a little scary. How can we possibly be his disciple and be committed to discipleship on those moments when it seems like not a lot of other people are? I'll end with this. There is a story uh, written a long time ago. It's called The Princess and the Goblin. And they are like, he's really going to quote the story, but uh, it will make sense to you in a second. What happened was is this, just track with it, just be cool with this for a little bit, and then you'll get where it goes, is in this story, there was a grandma, she had a granddaughter or whatever, and Uh, They were goblins, were kind of the bad guys, all right? So she gives her granddaughter a little thing of thread that she can't see. And she's like this, hey, whenever you get scared, then just pull out the thread and follow it. You're not going to be able to see where it takes you, but you're going to be able to feel it. So just feel it one step at a time when you get scared. So the goblins come in, she gets freaked out, she starts panicking. So she gets the thread and starts following it thinking it'll lead her to safety. So she can't see where it's going, but one step at a time, she can feel it. Well, where it led her was not to safety. It led her to where the goblins were. She's freaking out. She's like, are you kidding me? I thought this was going to lead me to safety. She had no idea it was going to take her there. Well, as she dug through a little bit, as she worked through that and kept following it, what she found is that one of her friends had been taken by them and was there. So the reason that it had led her there was so that she could rescue her friend. And once she did that and got over her fear, She took the thread all the way back to her grandma and was totally safe. And here's why I tell you that story. It's kind of weird when you're like, why are you telling that? This is why I tell you that story. Because what she learned is that the thread was trustworthy one day at a time because her grandma was trustworthy. Think about it. Her grandma, she knew, was trustworthy. So when it seemed like her grandma was leading her to a very scary place, what she was really doing was having a purpose in that moment that eventually would take her to safety. And the reason why I tell you that is this, is because in the exact same way, when you follow the thread of following Jesus, He often is not going to give you the 10-year plan on how this is all going to work out. He's often going to go one day at a time. And you're going to be like, I don't know how this is going to work when my friends are doing this and I'm following Him. It's going to be a little scary following the thread of following Christ. But here's what's really cool. Following that one day at a time, even when it might seem like it's leading us to a crazy place, They may make us a little different than others or maybe something like that. In the end, there's a purpose going on that we can't see and it's going to take us where we need to go. How do we know that Jesus is trustworthy? And I'll end with this. Here's what's really cool. Because Jesus' thread, when he followed the Father one day at a time, his thread took him all the way to the cross. That's where he led. As he followed the Father one day at a time, he went to the cross. And what's amazing about that is every single one of us in this room has willingly and gladly rebelled against God, maybe even in the past week, willingly and happily disobeyed him this year. Every one of us in this room, including me, have done that. Every one of us. And Jesus, knowing that, knowing everything about us, even the things that we don't want to show anyone else that we try to hide, knowing everything about us, even the things we think about, knowing us fully, was willing to follow that thread to the cross anyway. That's how great his love is in spite of our rebellion against Him. And if He did that, was willing to go to the cross, pay that penalty, loved us and delights in us gladly, because of that, we can trust Him every day. That proves that Jesus is trustworthy, that He is worth following one day at a time, even when it seems like nobody else is. Jesus' thread took Him to the cross. And because of that, ours will take us into His arms, even when it seems... Like it's not. So my hope for us today is that this would encourage us to get discipled and to let the gospel be the thing that encourages you to trust Him one day at a time. So I'm going to pray, and you're going to have plenty of time to play mad ball. That should be a lot of fun. Lord, we love you. We thank you for these guys here. We thank you for your Word, Lord. Yeah, we just thank you for the challenging uh, message, but the encouraging message uh, that your Son followed His thread to the cross, and we can follow ours into his arms every day. So I pray we get discipled that we would be a group of people in a ministry that's really, really serious about discipleship. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.